Welcome to Laying the Leadership Foundation podcast, where Stephanie and I discuss how we are building a leadership development program and hear from guests on their experiences. All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Laying the Leadership Foundation. I'm your host, Stephanie Jurassic. Thomas Poole could not join us today. He is in Fargo, North Dakota with our men's ice hockey program for the NCAA tournament. So good luck to those yellow jackets. Joining us today, we have Corey Pinkett, who is the Assistant AD for Character Formation at Baylor University. Corey, that is a very unique title within athletics. So could you give us a background on what your position is and what you do at Baylor? Would love to, and I appreciate you, Stephanie, for having me on. Um, Thomas, sorry you couldn't be with us, friend, but we'll keep going anyway. You're right, character formation is a unique term that you'll hear in our space, and it's our way of capturing student-athlete development. And the reason we call it character formation is because within our athletic department, we have four pillars that we're focusing on and that we're committing to doing. And character formation is one of those. So when I got here a little under three years ago, to be in alignment with our athletic department and to brand ourselves in a way that we thought was powerful, we came up with the idea of rebranding our student athlete development office to be the character formation office. So as we talk to people, as we talk to recruits, we'll say we're called character formation here, but if you're trying to compare the types of things we do, the comparable offices would be your student athlete development offices or your student athlete enhancement or engagement offices. And that's what we do. My job is to holistically develop our students and prepare them to be champions for life. And at Baylor, we're blessed to have a team of people that are committed to doing that. So in my role, I have oversight of three people, two full-time and one graduate assistant. And we've four divided up the responsibilities of managing the five pillars of our character formation program. And that involves personal development, leadership development, career development, we call personal development, personal skills, um, social responsibility, and then community engagement. And those five areas make up our Baylor Built program. And then we provide resources, workshops, and opportunities to gain experience in each of those five areas. Some are mandatory, some are not. And then the, the hope and the desire is by the conclusion of your time at Baylor, you've gotten everything you need to prepare for your transition out of Baylor and you are built in our terms <laughs> to be a champion for life. So day-to-day -day looks very different. It's hard for me to describe what that is, but it is a combination of uh, meetings and program preparation and executing programs, facilitating workshops and all of that. So that's the big chunk of what I do at Baylor. But then the other thing most recently that I've been able to do at Baylor is be the sport administrator for our softball team. Mm -hmm. So I get the great privilege of working with our softball program on a day-to-day -day basis and ensuring that those student athletes and those coaches are served and supported at a high level and there's a lot that I'm learning. There's a lot that you don't know when you start something new, but it's been a joy to serve that population of students and that subset of our coaches in a more intentional way. So that's, that's what I'm doing. That's what my 
current duties are. And then as everyone knows, there are other duties as a sign, you know, there's other things that you're involved in, but those are the the primary pieces of my day-to-day. Great. So it seems like since you got into the athletics world, you've been involved with student athlete development and leadership development. So how did you know that this is what you wanted to explore as you entered into the athletics world as a professional? Well, my friend, I did not know. <laughs> I think I think that's what, in all honesty, I think that's what makes me enjoy the work that I'm doing so much because when students come in and they say, Corey, I don't know, I'm like, I didn't either. And we can just work through this journey together. Ironically enough, when I entered college, I was not a college student athlete, but I played sports my whole life. Basketball was my sport of choice. And When I entered college, I was entering college with the mindset that I would be a cosmetologist. And for those that don't know what cosmetology is, that's your hairstylists and your people that get you looking all beautiful. I was going to be that. That was my goal. I was going to have my own slew of chains of hair salons. And that was it. And then something clicked for me my freshman year of college. And I realized I didn't want to sit behind a chair and do people's heads. Like that would get old. While I enjoyed it, that would get very old for me very quickly. And then I began to explore, well, what else am I interested in and what else do I enjoy? And I knew that I enjoyed sport. So I just started exploring what in sport I might want to do. At the same time, I was majoring in marketing as my focus at the University of Georgia. So my thought then became sports marketing. That's a winner, makes sense. So I volunteered and did some things along those lines and vividly remember working a basketball game my senior year. And as I was working, just thinking to myself, I can't do this for my career. I just can't do it. I'm not fulfilled, can't do it. And then I had that nervous thought right after that, like, oh my goodness, but this is what the path I was on. So if I'm not gonna do this, then what am I going to do? And through some reflection and talking with um, a few of my friends and mentors, I realized I really enjoyed serving people. And I was working as a mentor and tutor for Upward Bound, and I just really loved that. So then my brain went, okay, community service and sports. Let's do community relations. That's what I went to grad school for. That was the thought process I was thinking. And I think I still would have enjoyed doing that, but uh, God had other plans. So (laughs) I get to graduate school and we have a speaker come talk and he talks about student athlete development. And because I wasn't a student athlete in college and didn't really have a clear understanding of what their experience was, I had never heard of student athlete development. And as he was talking, I was like, oh, this could be something that I could do potentially. So long story short, ended up job shadowing, volunteering, and then becoming the graduate assistant in student services at the University of Central Florida for the final year of my grad program. That was my introduction into student athlete development. And through that graduate assistant experience, learned that I really enjoy doing this. And I have some skills and abilities that allow me to do this at a high level this is what I want to pursue, I think. <laughs> I still had that, that piece of me that was like, I think this is it, but I'm not 100% sure. And it wasn't until, it truly wasn't until I started working at Kansas State um, in 2013 and was fully on my own, 
needing to build a program and going through that experience where I realized, yeah, this is exactly what I was created to do. I'm in the zone that I need to be in and I really, really enjoy what I'm doing. But you're right, since I listened to the guest speaker in graduate school and started pursuing the path of student athlete development, that's the path that I've been on. Now I've taken a sidestep and have been able to do some work um, around leadership development and professional development for professionals that work in our industry. And I've thoroughly enjoyed that and still continue to do some of that, which is evidenced through my work with law. Um, but the driving force that got me into this was those experiences as a grad student. And then once I drunk some of the Kool-Aid, as I like to <laughs> tell people, I was sold. <laughs> and I, I truly believe that I get I get to do the best job in the world and I enjoy, I enjoy what I do. And then I also enjoy having opportunities like the law experience and others that allow me to develop people in a different way. Yeah. And that type of story is so important for our student athletes to hear. And even early professionals within Mm -hmm. athletics to hear that not everyone that you see, like I look up to you as, um, a model of how I would like my career to go with how you've done within student athlete development. So knowing that you weren't even sure of how to navigate your path, I think that's really powerful for our student athletes to hear. So Mm -hmm. as they're going through college and trying to figure themselves out and, uh, and then the early career professionals who are still trying to find their footing, find their ground and find their niche of where they really excel. Yeah, it's Stephanie, it's so, it's so interesting. And as I think back, I can see how everything fit together, but in the moments, I, I didn't know. (laughs) And I'm a woman of faith. So I was praying about things and trying to talk to my mentors and, and just get insight. But it was, it was those, I think this is the right decision. I know I'm interested in this. Let's take a leap and let's try it. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to be in it, let me give it everything that I've got and <laughs> pour myself completely in it. People will say bloom where you plant it, but I just, I want to do really, really good work. And choosing to do that in my college years. So I poured myself into my internship. And I think that's what helped me realize I, I couldn't do this long-term. And I poured myself into my tutoring and my mentoring, which I think helped me realize I really enjoy this. Mm-hmm. Now, in hindsight, because of what I do in my role, I now understand that I enjoyed being able to develop them and see their growth and help them. But I wasn't able to articulate that as a junior in college. I couldn't have told right. you that. Um, but it's so interesting to see how that works, because for me, I wasn't one of those people that came in and said, this is exactly what I want to do. And I've known this forever. And I'm on that path. No, it was. I think I, I think this is interesting. Let's try it. Okay, yeah, that wasn't it. I think this is interesting. (laughs) Let's try it and let's explore it. And I feel blessed to have been able to identify it still decently early in graduate school and then pursue the path. And the reality is the path was hard. After graduating from grad school, there weren't jobs. Jobs in student athlete development did not exist, (laughs) you know? And And then you begin to question, like, am I, am I sure about this? Is this, am I sure this is the path I want to go on? Should I be considering something else because I can't find a job and I have real bills 
and I have loans yeah. I need to pay off and I have things that I need to handle. <laughs> and then it, it's one of those things where you just have to work through the challenge and that's where your resilience is built. And that's where it's important to make the values-based decisions and things that you feel convicted about as you choose what you're going to do. Because I think that's what helped. Um, and then based on that, you chart your journey. So as you identify pieces and things that you're interested in, or as people see things in you, allowing yourself the opportunity to take on that challenge. That's what happened with the NCAA. People saw things in me and they said, you, you could do this at a really high level. Would you like the opportunity? I said, ooh, are you sure in my brain? <laughs> Not to them, but in my brain, I was like, ooh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know. There are all these other people that could be better. I don't know. But choosing to take the opportunity then opened up doors. So I think that that's an important thing too, that I would tell the younger version of myself because there are some opportunities I was very hesitant and didn't end up taking. And there were others that I like told myself that I needed to do, which I'm glad I did. But I, part of me wishes I would have taken more advantage of some of the opportunities and not allowed my concerns about being fully ready to prevent me from taking advantage of opportunities that I was given. Yeah, that, that leap of faith is a scary thing. I, mm -hmm. I definitely experienced that as I was uh, accepting my current position. I was like, is it? Am I ready for that? But no, yes, you, you gotta, are. You, you are. Gotta, you just gotta go. <laughs> yep, you gotta jump a two feet in and just hit the ground running and see how Absolutely. it goes. Um, so you haven't only been in an educational uh, environment. You were also at Women Leaders in College yes. Sports, which still is like a professional development within college athletics, but it's a little bit different. So, can you talk about? the differences between the educational model and the, the model with women leaders and how that's helped you at Baylor. Yes, absolutely. And I so appreciate my women leaders experience for a variety of reasons and that being one of them. So coming from campus and our educational setting and the way we did instruction, and I incorporate active learning and all of that stuff, but it still was very narrowly focused on our student athlete population and the unique needs of that population. And then when I got to Women Leaders and was Director of Leadership and Education for that organization, that organization is providing services, resources, and development opportunities to women across the spectrum in our industry. So you think about putting on programming and development opportunities for women that are, we call them rising stars, early in your career, students, grad students, interns, first one to three years of your career, women that are in their jobs or earlier, so young professionals, and then women that are mid-career, and then women that are senior level and I'm not senior level, and then women that aspire to be athletic directors and commissioners. And my job is to program for all of them. Wow. So I come in as somebody used to programming for students, 18 to 22, and now you're talking about programming for 18 to however old, right? And, and that was very different for me. The things that I pulled from campus was the focus on active learning, the ways that we engage our students, the 
the tailoring to the audience. And then the things I had to learn were the other areas of the athletic department that I knew nothing about, had to learn about hiring at higher levels and search firms and what those processes are, had to learn about the ways to equip women to best represent themselves and communicate who they are to who, they, who they're talking to. Um, but then also had to learn about promoting and um, selecting people for national programs. On the campus side, coaches tell me who needs to be there or students get to opt into programming. It's just that simple. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's that simple. Now, trying to get them there may be a challenge, but fundamentally, that's what we're working with. Nationally, it looks a little different. Some people can nominate women. How do we make sure we're communicating to women? How do we know, how do we help women know that we exist? If women know we exist, do they know that we offer these resources? It was just a much broader scope, which forced me to expand my thinking. And that's one of the biggest things that has helped me now that I'm back on campus, because now I'm not just thinking in an isolated mindset about what we're doing and how we're doing it. Now I'm challenging myself to also think, are there other things that one, our students need, or in some other roles I have within our department, our department needs? Two, are there other people that we should be bringing along or other areas that we should bring along to help us execute this? And then three, can we plug into other resources to help provide the resources we need for what we're providing to our students? So that experience at Women Leaders was extremely fundamental in helping to expand my narrow thinking, but then it also helped me have the tools I needed to be able to manage people. So that's the other thing. When I was at Kansas State prior to going to Women Leaders, I was a one-person shop my first year. And then my, the, my last two and a half years, I had a graduate assistant. So I was learning some lessons on how to supervise and lead people, um, but hadn't had experience leading a team of people before. At Women Leaders, we talked a lot and coached women on how to lead and manage and supervise their people. So as we're putting on those programs, I'm in the back of the room taking notes and, <laughs> and learning in addition to executing programming for our women in the organization. True and a lot of those nuggets. Job. Yes, <laughs> learning on the job with how to do it and learning on the job for my own professional development. And I would mention that at the end of our programs all the time, especially the programs that were for levels higher than mine. Mm -hmm. So when we were programming for our executive level women and we're programming for our senior level women, while I was responsible for facilitating us through that event and working with Patty, the CEO of that organization to put that event on, I wasn't in charge of sessions, so I'm in the back of the room taking notes and, and learning about what it means to have a good culture in your department and learning about the things you, be, you should be considering as you hire people to ensure that your hiring process is inclusive and that you're asking the right questions and all the things that I would never think about because I was never in those positions. And then you get to Baylor and I am in the position to hire people. I am responsible for the culture of our character formation team 
I am part of our leadership team for our Student Athlete Center of Excellence and have a hand in how we operate as a unit. A lot of those lessons I learned at Women Leaders. So lots of things were transferable for me yeah. and it provided uh, such a great opportunity. And the reason, the last thing I say, because I can be long-winded on some of this stuff, so cut me off if I'm talking too long. But the last thing I'll say about the Women Leaders experience is, as I was preparing to take that job, several people questioned me on why that job would be the good fit. Because for some of my mentors and some of my um, colleagues, they saw that as a lateral move. He said, you're a director at Kansas State, you're overseeing a program, all these other things, you're gonna go be a director at this organization, why does this make sense for you? For me, I knew that I was going back to not knowing what your paths are. I knew that I have two different visions of what I could see my career in sport being. And one of those involved being off campus and providing resources and services to professionals and student athletes in our industry. So for me, Women Leaders was not only an opportunity to gain some additional experiences brought in my perspective, but it also helped me see a potential avenue for how to still fulfill the desires that I had and walk in my purpose in a way that was not directly tied to a university or campus setting. And I made the right decision for me and was sound in what I thought was best for me. And it far exceeded what I thought I could have gotten out of that experience um, and prepared me for the experience that would be next. So the other thing I would say is, as especially if you're earlier on in your career, as you explore different options, take the insight from people because that's important, but make decisions for yourself. Absolutely. I think that... I think we just found our little uh, tagline quote when we uh, <laughs> when we put this out on social media. Absolutely, that's a, a huge lesson because especially as a young professional, you're always looking up to those mentors and asking their advice, asking their opinions on how to get to either where they are or where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're only those mentors are seeing it from the path that they've taken and what their experiences are. So you got to listen to yourself as well to know what you want and how you want to expand and make your own path. That's incredibly important um, advice for anyone in their career life. Now I want to take us back a little bit because you did mention this uh, very quickly about getting into the NCAA law program that you were sought Mm -hmm. out um, so can you just talk more about um, how that, how it came about that you became a lead facilitator for the law program? You know, I still sit in amazement at it, to be completely honest with you, <laughs> honest and <laughs> candid with you. I, I think the true start of it was, I was asked, I go back to the comment I made earlier about opportunities that you're offered that you're not really sure about, but just take the leap of faith. I was asked to be a lead facilitator for the effective facilitation workshop that the NCAA hosts and puts on. And I accepted that challenge. And that was in 2017. Yes, that was in 2017, spring of 2017. 
accepted that challenge and started being one of the co-lead facilitators for that program. At that same time, I was selected as a facilitator for the Student Athlete Leadership Forum that the NCAA does. So I was doing the forum. The facilitators for that forum were Dr. Jeff O'Brien, Maya Ozery, <laughs> Marcus Sedberry. The whole team. And, and one other person, uh, Brandy, I think it was Brandy Stewart. And it was all of them as lead facilitators for the leadership forum. So I share that because the lead facilitators for law got to see me in that space. And they would also sit in in our effective facilitator workshop as a way to identify people for the student athlete leadership forum. So they saw me for those couple of years. Um, Marcus is actually my direct report and Dr. Jeff O'Brien, I met as a student when I was a student at Central Florida and he's seen me along my journey. And last, well, I feel like we lost the year due to COVID. So my timeline yeah. is a little bit, is a little off. But prior to the start of law, uh, Dr. O'Brien approached me about my interest in helping with the law program. And I had joked with them all the time about how disgruntled I was with the fact that they chose to create a law program after I had gone through the work of figuring it out <laughs> on my own and trying to figure out how to do this when I was working at Kansas State. Thanks for nothing, guys. And I was like, thanks so much for not helping me, but I love that you're helping everybody else, jokingly, obviously, with them, and um, just shared with our NCAA team at the time that I would love to just shadow that program and see what goes into it and what that looks like. So that was my initial introduction because we were planning for me to shadow. And then they had some switch-ups in their lead facilitators, and one of the lead facilitators um, was unable to facilitate. And Jeff, Dr. O'Brien reached back out to me and says, hey, would you be interested in being a lead facilitator? And again, I had that moment of, oh, I don't know. But yes, I would love to do that. It would be, be a great opportunity. And it would help me twofold. It would allow me to continue to develop people and pour into people, which I love to do. But then also it would challenge me on some of the, the specifics that we talk about in law to see if we're doing those same things here at Baylor. And if, we're, if there are things that we need to adjust, that we need to rethink, that um, we can approve upon. And that's why I accepted. So we had that conversation probably March or April of last year when they realized that um, their other lead facilitator would be unable to be with them this year. And then I joined the team and we were all ready and planning for in-person and then the pandemic hit yeah. and we had to make adjustments <laughs> and we worked through those, but, but that's how I got connected. It, it honestly was not something I anticipated or uh, thought could be an opportunity for me, um, but I'm glad that they were able to see see me and see some of my abilities and see some things in me that I don't necessarily see in myself in many ways and um, look at me as someone that could help them lead this awesome program. Yeah, I mean, I know Thomas and I have really appreciated your, your insight throughout the whole law program. So I'm glad that you are one of the lead facilitators helping well, us I appreciate with this. that. That means more than you know. I truly appreciate it. Uh, so this law program has been virtual all year because of COVID, as you said. 
So what are some things that you think um, the law program might take moving forward um, as they go back into in-person that they've had to adjust because of being virtual? Yeah, I, I'll answer that question twofold. I'll mention some adjustments we had to make going mm -hmm. in-person to virtual, and then I'll mention some things we've talked about that could continue. I've heard stories upon stories of people that have done the in-person law program that talk about just how that in-person experience is. And because of that, as we were planning, while we knew virtual would look different, mm -hmm. there were still some pieces from in-person that we wanted to include and continue. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to figure out how to recreate the connection piece of law because y'all are in a cohort, as you know, and mm -hmm. you and Thomas are with, I think our total number is like 36 people. So 34 other people that um, we're hoping you're able to connect with, but we wanted to figure out a way to maintain connectivity despite being virtual and cover all the content despite being virtual because digesting content virtually is very different from dig yes. digesting <laughs> content in person. And we learned very quickly in our first module, and, and you may attest to this, Stephanie, <laughs> that we couldn't do information overload. Oh, yeah. And we had to adjust <laughs> midway through that first module to allow more time for content to breathe and to allow more time for you all to connect and to process and discuss what we're doing. And that truly changed the entire rest of our law experience. We went in with a plan. We tested said plan, realized for our participants that our plan was not gonna work and then <laughs> adjusted accordingly. And I think for us, what that means moving forward could be a variety of different things. One thing we've appreciated about the virtual version of law is one, it provides us the opportunity to touch more people. The in-person version of law due to budget and other restrictions means that not as many people get to participate. Mm -hmm. So that was one thing. The other thing we were able to do is in addition to expanding the number of universities and um, colleges and institutions that could participate, we also were able to increase the number of physical people that could participate. So this is the first year that every institution has had a campus partner that's going along this journey with you because we we know the benefit of going through something together. Um, and we know the benefit of being able to have multiple people carrying the load mm -hmm. so that it's easier to manage. Doesn't mean it's easy. It just means it's easier to manage. Right. It's still a pretty intensive program. And then the other thing is it allows us the opportunity to stay connected with you throughout the entire process. In person, you would have two, three and a half day, four day blocks of time where you work through the content. Mm -hmm. And then you, we would have check-ins with you, um, but because we're stretched out virtually, it's given us forced touch points throughout the entire journey. You all as participants are able to reach out and connect and ask questions throughout the entire journey. And I believe, this is my first time doing it, so you'd have to ask the other three about their opinion, 
But I believe because we've gotten in this rhythm of frequent communication, even after we're finished with the modules, that communication and that frequency of communication will feel natural and you as participants may feel more inclined to continue to reach out, to continue to check in, to continue to ask questions beyond the structured reach outs we would do at cert certain times. And I think that that's, those pieces are pieces that we may want to continue moving forward. I think the other thing that the virtual space has allowed us to do is tap into more of our alumni resources. So you think about mm -hmm. some of the, the projects and things that we had you do in person, you would then have to fly people in, they'd have to check their schedules to see if they'd be able to take that much time away from work. Virtually, you're able to hop on a phone conversation, a Zoom conversation, talk for 30 minutes, an hour, and it fits a lot better into the flexibility of our already packed schedules. So it allows more reach and access to the great alum that are part of the law program. And my hope is that we still find ways to do that. So even if we're in person, being able to stream a panel of our law grads or have them as guest speakers for certain portions, I think it just opens up opportunities or in between modules, being able to have check-ins with um, our alum or cohort group check-ins as a team via Zoom. I mean, we, we wouldn't have thought to do that mm -hmm. in person because we were just saying, we'll just meet individually. But because we've done it in law now, we're like, well, yeah, let's get everybody together. If I'm having all my coaching groups, all four of our institutions can get together, let's talk about some of the challenges you're having. Let's talk through the things that you've been able to have success with so far and the questions you still have. And let's talk collectively in addition to talking with just, this, just that specific campus. I think those are things that we can continue. And then the platform with where we're keeping all the information we're using the, the Canvas, Canvas, yeah, I said that right, Canvas <laughs> tool, and it's set up like a class. So you think about the ease of access to all of those resources. In person, you would have a binder of all the information, which is good. I'm a hard copy type of person, so I like to write things down. But knowing that we've had people upload resources and upload what their campuses are doing, now you have all of that in one spot that's easily accessible. My hope and desire is that we continue to do, continue to do that too. So there are pieces that we have learned are beneficial mm -hmm. that adapting and being innovative in the space have, has forced us to do. And then as we begin to transition back in person, I believe some of those pieces will still keep because they've been such a value add to you and the other participants that are going through our first virtual law experience. Yeah, hopefully that budget will allow for two people per mm -hmm. institution because every person that we've talked to on this podcast um, or whenever we were doing the alumni interviews, they were just like, man, I really wish I had someone else with me or mm -hmm. um, those who are in the cohort now saying, I couldn't imagine doing this alone. So that just having a partner is, has been a huge difference in building yeah. this program, having someone else in it with you day in and day out, bouncing ideas off of. Um, yeah, I think that that change was 
um, one of the best ones so far, just having that yeah. other person. That's good feedback. And I will make a note. Let's take, <laughs> take that back to our group for sure. Yeah. So, um, uh, just to close out this fantastic conversation, we've been asking all of our guests, um, as recently, uh, one question and yours, as I said, uh, prior to us recording is going to be a little different. So interpret it as you, as you may, okay. uh, what is a challenge that you are looking forward to overcoming either within law, maybe with this upcoming module that's starting tomorrow or at Baylor, if you're planning some programming or there's something that you've, you've got brewing over there, what is a, a challenge you're looking forward to overcoming? Yes, I, we do have something brewing and that's what I'll talk about. We do a, and I'm sure many campuses do this, it's not unique to us, but we provide an end of the year award show. We call it the Golden yes. Bruisers to our student athletes. And our committee has been challenging ourselves to rethink what that could be, what it could look like. Last year, we did a virtual show because we were virtual. And this year with the opportunity to potentially be in person, we're evaluating and exploring how we can do the show in person. And I know that that will be a tremendous challenge for us. And there, there are things that we're talking through and working through around that, but that's a challenge that I am very much looking forward to successfully overcoming. And our hope and our desire is to be able to execute an in-person show that gets to celebrate the accomplishments of our student athletes from the fall through the spring. And we intentionally didn't do something this spring because we wanted to be able to acknowledge and recognize our spring sports, knowing that they didn't get to compete last year. And I, I'm just excited for what that's gonna look like. There are several hurdles for us to climb through, jump over, all of that. Mm -hmm. But the most recent conversations from our group were, we have to do this for our student athletes and we have to figure out a way to do it. So. That is a challenge. I think it's a large one, but I do think it's a challenge that we can overcome. So I'm looking forward to being able to navigate that and attack that and ultimately provide something special for our students. Great. Yeah, that's a challenge that we've been talking about on our campus as well. Mm -hmm. Well, Corey, thank you so much for joining us today and taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation and your insights. Um, and I'm really looking forward to, to Law Module 3 starting up tomorrow night. Yes, it's my <laughs> pleasure. I'm so glad I could join. Thank you for asking me. And similarly, I'm looking forward to tomorrow night and us doing the tail end of this journey. But more exciting for me is just to see the great work that y'all are going to do on your individual campuses and the outcomes that will be happening as a result of this experience. So I'm pumped. Thanks again for having me. Um, it's going to be great. Thanks. And for those listening at home, uh, thank you for tuning in. Stay tuned for next week when we will have um, one of our formation group uh, committee members, Chad Levesque, join us so that he can talk about his experience with helping us build this leadership academy. Thanks for joining us this week on Lane the Leadership Foundation podcast. Be sure to subscribe and review this podcast wherever you listen. 
If you found value in this podcast, do us a favor and share this episode with someone else. As always, keep laying the foundation.